Welcome to another episode of Founders Jam. We feature incredible stories of founders building world-class startups in the fastest growing markets. We deal in crypto and we've consolidated all our treasury in USDC. So we don't take currency risk. And so when our, as an early stage venture, there's a lot of trial and error. I'm Shan Ko, broadcasting from Singapore. I'm super excited to welcome Chris Duffus to the podcast today. I think you're going to be really excited about how we are going to leapfrog from no banking into distributed banking. No fi to DeFi, I think is how Chris likes to describe it. But before we get into phone bank and all the developments there, I would just like to invite Chris to introduce himself a little. Who are you, Chris? How did we arrive at this point? And how did you decide to start PhoneBank? Because you have a very varied and illustrious career. Sure. Well, in many respects, I have a traditional background, but, you know, in a 21st century global way, I am a, uh, an immigrant. I literally came in the middle of the night from Jamaica to the United States and our family had to sort of restart their lives. And so that made a huge impression upon me early on. But I went to college and I became like many of us in this sort of new economy. I was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. I started my career as an analyst, but decided I wanted to build things more than spreadsheets. As I began my career at the dawn of the internet, and I saw companies like Netscape go public, and I wanted to be like those young people that were uh, creating these great companies. And lo and behold, I'm yeah, much older than I was then, but I, I still consider myself a young person. But, um, and I started this journey to build. And I had my first opportunity in the telecommunications space and ended up getting into to wireless and phone bank was in a weird way a culmination of both of those experiences in you know vocationally in payments and wireless you got to um, tell people about and, the bet chris it's the best <laughs> founding story sure sure so he's my uh sort of non-equity founding partner is my brother-in-law who i love to death and he went to to kenya on vacation to go visit a buddy of his and he came back with this SIM card. And I didn't know about this for like two months after his vacation, uh, he'd come back. And for many of you who don't know, Kenya is the birthplace of mobile money. And the predominant mobile carrier there is called Safaricom. And they have this mobile money service called M-Pesa, which today actually looks and feels like a Venmo or PayPal or you know, any sort of bank centric mobile money service. But when it originally started, it started out trading prepaid airtime credit, kind of like a currency hedge. And at the time, the country's going through this huge inflationary period and people are trying to hedge, trying to buy assets and things that had utility. And people realize that, oh, this thing called airtime, people always want to make phone calls or this is actually before mobile internet. So literally it was just phone calls. But uh, it was something of significant uh, utility. So anyway, he comes back. We're looking at the SIM. We plug it into my phone. And we realize that there's like effectively like $10 of remaining value on there. And he's like, oh, I thought I'd, it, it had expired. 
And he was telling me how they could trade airtime P2P still. And this is separate from mobile money, as I indicated. Long story short, it's probably a beer or two into the discussion. He's like, I bet you couldn't resell this back to someone on the ground in, in Kenya like they used to, to do it on a regular basis. And I was like, wow, this is my young brother-in-law, so I'm not going to lose this thing. So I devised this hack where I took out some ads on Facebook targeting people that liked Safaricom and M-Pesa and let it run for a few days and went back and checked it and noticed there were like three people that had responded. So I invited them into a WhatsApp group. I got two of them. And after a round or two of some straightforward negotiation, I sold the airtime using his M-Pesa account and Safaricom SIM. And that was sort of the genesis of phone bank, which I would describe now as at its core, we've tokenized a unit of prepaid airtime or on the blockchain and make it a, a tradable commodity. And it has sort of many more uses than just sort of trading. And how did you get from winning a bet to starting a company? Because we make <laughs> bets all the time. We don't start companies all the time. So in that moment where you're like, oh, this thing works, you know, talk us through a little bit the yeah, journey yeah. there. So just intellectually, it had been it had been something. So as I mentioned, like I spent a lot of time in payments, but also wireless too. And all my first investors in in phone bank is really are my old bosses from the wireless space. And I'd done a lot of work in emerging, whether it's spectrum acquisition or wireless networking. And in many respects, like this was a running sort of uh, question and opportunity that I'd had for years. And so like many entrepreneurs, it's, you know, you always sort of seek that spark. You, your mind is sort of racing all the time, trying to find solutions to various problems or address certain needs. And, and this was one of those sort of revolutionary instances in my mind where I was like, oh, wow, here's this global public network that I was able to get liquidity for the stranded asset on the other side of the world. And I was actually an earlier investor in Ethereum because I wanted to reimagine the various tech stacks that I'd been involved with on a public blockchain. And so this was probably the first instance, given my background in telecommunications as well as payments, where definitely is like one of those sort of pattern recognition moments where I was like, okay, I'm having a deja vu instance and there's something here and it sort of fits this, addresses a sort of uh, problem or solution that I was looking to, to solve. Yeah. So let's dive in a little bit there, right? Because I, I think you're, um, you're downplaying the insight, which is that <laughs> how many billion people on this planet now have a cell phone? So it's a great question and perspective. Um, so literally, there are probably 5 billion cell phones. And within that, there's this thing called SIMs. And these are these sort of authentication tools that allow it to work and access a mobile network. And there's literally 10 billion SIM cards. And in many parts of the world, people actually have multiple SIMs for multiple carriers. And it's because unlike the West or certain very developed countries, a mobile carrier network might only work in a certain part of town. 
or the country. And so if you go, if you have family or friends or live on another part of town or the country, you have to get another cell network. But these things have balances associated with them, like the bet with my brother-in-law with that are transactable. And so, you know, and I, and I was doing the research and found that of these 10 billion SIM cards, some 8 billion of them are prepaid and, you know, have this ability to transfer value back and forth just like a debit card. And that's probably the most analogous financial product for the developed world is to think about this SIM as like a, a debit card. And what with phone bank, and this was the epiphany really, is that I could turn through this sort of transfer methodology, a SIM card into a virtual debit card over the top of an emo- of the bank and mobile carriers. And this 8 billion prepaid SIM cards What's the overlap there with the unbanked? Oh, it's probably 90-something percent and in that you go to certain parts of the world and there might be – you're definitely not going to find an ATM machine. Bank penetration is maybe one branch per few hundred thousand people. And I even – I was talking to a stakeholder a few months ago and he was in Peru and we we're talking about phone bank and he's like, yeah, I w- this would have come in handy. We had to, you know, he was in some rural village and they had to do some type of financial transaction for this microfinance company and then drive three hours to the nearest bank. But they had mo- access to mobile phone and the debil- ability to top it up in that rural village. Founders Jam is proudly brought to you by Hustle Fund. Hustle Fund is a global pre-seed venture capital fund that invests in early stage startups. We believe that great founders can come from anywhere and look like anyone. We're always looking for founders in their earliest stages, building incredible ventures that solve difficult problems. Tell us about what you're building on www.hustlefund.vc. And so maybe we can give listeners a bit of a feel for what the phone bank product is and how it operates. So imagine that I'm an average citizen in Kenya I've got my Safaricom SIM card and my friend tells me like, hey, I've heard about this new product phone bank. What would that conversation be like? What would that person be telling me about the product? So in its simplest form, what we've enabled is a type of on-ramp from the fiat world into whether it's traditional financial services or even Web3 and DeFi. But we use the blockchain as a type of rail to get there. And Probably the simplest way to describe the how is an exchange. And maybe the most even analogous type of exchange is like a gift card exchange, right? And there's been plenty of those for a long time. Like I have a a Starbucks card and I want to sell it to you. And so you might, you know, have a $10 card, you might give me $9 for it. Because it's Starbucks, you might use it. But if it's something like a Bed Bath & Beyond card, you might give me $7 for it, $10. And then I give you the card and you give me the cash. Well, we work in the same way, except because we're dealing in like literally dozens, but potentially it could be hundreds of emerging markets, we actually don't deal in cash. We deal in crypto and we've consolidated all our back end our treasury in USDC. So we don't take currency risk. And so when our sort of the the buyers of this, of these airtime bought, sort of stake in or deposit value into our network, they do so with cryptocurrency versus fiat. And so we can have this sort of 
friction-free trading on a global basis. And as a result, you, a, a user, if you have airtime, you can on-ramp into crypto without friction and then use that crypto as a fungible uh, gate pathway into either more DeFi and Web3, like you can buy an NFT, or even traditional financial services. Like we actually are uh, partnered with Visa and MasterCard through their start path and respectively the, the MasterCard's sort of innovation program globally to potentially issue cards and other sort of unique opportunities leveraging their networks. So I want to make this really concrete, Chris. Okay, so I am an unbanked person, but I have mobile minutes. I can go to phone bank and I can exchange my mobile minutes either for USDC, which I can then do other things with, or I could get a virtual Visa card and I could use that to go buy something online. Something which That's was previously correct. not possible because I couldn't get a credit card because I'm an unbanked person. Correct. But there's uh, what I would say is it's not necessarily that you're unbanked, but you'll appreciate this a little bit more. But you know, you live in a developed economy, and here in the United States, maybe a way to look at it would be um, imagine if, like I live in Washington D.C. But imagine if every state in the U.S. was its own country with its own banking system, its own telecommunication system. And so if I went a few miles north to Maryland, that my bank card wouldn't work or my mobile phone wouldn't work. Well, that's how most of the world lives. And so you might have a bank card in Nigeria, but it doesn't work in the U.S. And now with e-commerce... People are used to buying things like I want to buy Netflix or get a Netflix subscription because I want to watch a movie or I want to listen to Spotify. I want to buy an Axie. And so many people are just blocked from the global financial system because they're not part of that Western cabal of banking networks. And we provide a type of an interoperability and enablement using our pathway for the in a most democratized way possible. I, I, you know, the way to look at sort of the opportunity is like still less than 1% of the world population has owns crypto. Conversely, nearly 100% of the world population has access to mobile telephony. And phone bank provides a bridge directly between those two states. You talk a lot about this on-ramp into crypto. Why do you care about bringing people into crypto? So having having spent a lot of time in banking... One of the big issues with digital or financial inclusion is it's not that, you know, you think about sort of behaviors, it's not that people don't want to save or be banked, but if you live in an economy where, you know, you might make a dollar a day and that might be enough for you, right? The banking system has fixed costs, especially like KYC, AML, and a branch and all these different expense items. Well, they can't make any money off of you. And because of that, you can access it, but they're going to charge you a lot of fees. So if you make a dollar a day and they charge you 75 cents a day to access that, it doesn't make any sense. If you look at sort of the, the billing infrastructure of mobile phones, these are prepaid networks that have micro balances that with high transaction volumes in them 
And they essentially, if you think about sort of all your money, all our money is digitized now. We're sending the like data packets, ones and zeros all over the world, whether it's money or what have you. And with roaming, there's even a type of sort of value transfer that occurs between carriers, right? So what I saw, and this is part of the opportunity, is that here's this asset or commodity and a accounting or sub-accounting sort of ledger system that can cost-effectively manage micro accounts. And with the blockchain, you can make that sort of interoperable and create this sort of, uh, and essentially thread the needles of these different networks. So you can create this whole global network that wouldn't ordinarily, or you couldn't create with traditional means. And to me, that's a, a, a powerful thing. And that, and it enables an accessibility that never really existed before for financial services. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think the mission is really important to sort of like the why, and and that's you know part of what we got excited about when we first met Chris uh, before we wrote our, our check into phone bank. So let's take you back to that beginning, that starting a phone bank. So you had this insight, you're like, okay, I think I'm going to go start something. And so for our listeners who are thinking about starting something, what were kind of the top three things that you wanted to get done to validate to yourself that this was real? How did you get the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to go do it? <laughs> well, part of it is like, I call it the wife test in that like, if I'm going to quit something or invest in something, whether it's my time or our resources, I got to convince her. And if that don't fly, then it would be, it's sort of an uphill battle. That said, sort of just tactically, I've learned I do a lot of tests. And so in my career as an entrepreneur, it's never been, and people say this all the time, it's never been easier to start a business. But from a practical standpoint, it, it really has never been easier to start a business. But more importantly, it's never been easier to test and validate certain concepts. And people talk about MVP and blah, 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 you know, things like that all the time. But I do think it's it's extremely important that you sort of think about like, what are those litmus tests or activities that you want to occur before to take you to the next level to convince yourself to convince an, a third party can your wife, your partner? Um, how do you convince them? Because they might not, they may not be as steeped in this, what you're doing, right? So for us, and then I went back to my brother in law, too. And he's very skeptical. So He's like, well, can you regularly transfer airtime back and forth? Like, yeah. So they were like little micro things first, right? But I had to like find people to do this. So I reached out to those same people that I sold the airtime to. I was like, hey, can we do this a couple of times and see how this works again? And then were there other networks that did this too? And then I think this was a this was a big one. So <laughs> this is where I really decided to start as a business. I was actually just trading airtime back and forth with people. Like I'd buy more with some of the earnings that I got from it. And I hooked up a PayPal account and I was doing this weird global transfer between PayPal accounts to top up my M-Pace account to buy airtime to then trade it with folks. And, you know, I remember one night 
it's like two or three in the morning, my phone's buzzing and you know, I'm picking up because I'm about to trade some airtime again. And my wife rolls over. She's like, what the F? Who, who are you on the phone with? What are you doing? I was like, it's like sweetie, this is, this is Muhammad from Kenya. We're trading airtime. It's like the Jake from State Farm commercial here in this in the States. Like, who are you talking to? And I was like, all right, I've done this enough times. So how do we then take this to the next level? And I actually wrote a... Um, an original sort of white paper about the tokenization of prepaid airtime. And it, it, it's actually what we're still doing today, even though I've written a new white paper, which I shared with you in terms of what we plan to do. But, um, and then the next sort of real test before we raised any money was we actually, my business partner, Sergey and I, we created, we tokenized, sort of primary market airtime. We created this sort of in a, this currency called MIN that lived in this sort of uh, private blockchain. And we found an airtime wholesaler that we could then use to as our top-up network. And we actually sold that airtime to people digitally using, we created this, uh, and we had this debate about like, do we create a, an app for this? And should it be iOS or Android or can it work on phones and blah, blah, blah. And I met this guy at this, this conference and he actually was using Facebook Messenger for this customer service solution. And, he, and I was just like, oh, we need to just do a Messenger bot. And so that was our real commercial MVP is to sell discount prepaid airtime through this Facebook Messenger bot. And we, you know, just took out ads in Kenya advertising free and discount airtime for people to sign up. And we ended up becoming one of the, if not the fastest growing airtime reseller for the specific wholesaler. It's the largest one in the world for these markets that we're in. And we did a few hundred thousand in terms of uh, GMV one month. And, but I would describe our back end as a paper mache spit and gum platform. And we were up all night getting up at five or six in the morning to then restart everything and reboot our, uh, you know, any issues that we might have. And that was sort of our, beginning and gave us like confidence that there was something there i love that and now you are live in how many markets so yeah we're live in over a dozen markets across sub-saharan africa nigeria being our largest followed by kenya but we're getting interest from all over the world like philippines is another market we want to enter we're looking at projects in in india Latin America. Uh, so ultimately, this is everywhere there's a prepaid GSM phone, there's an opportunity for us. What are the open roles that you're hiring for right now? Because obviously the business is growing rapidly. And what are the types of partners that you're looking to collaborate with? Yeah. So we're hiring across the board, but specifically in engineering, we're looking for full stack developers at at any level of seniority. I mean, part of our litmus test is passion about sort of our mission. 
as well as Web3 and crypto and how that could be transformative across emerging markets and you know financial inclusion, followed by product managers and community development folks. So if you have experience in developing these sort of distributed emerging market communities and have a passion for that, please reach out. Partnerships? So we see an opportunity in in a pretty broad set of categories where we see this on-ramp emerging into is not just crypto, because crypto is, you know, it's like saying like, hey, we're the best VHS player out there. You know, we want to be driven by applications. And so whether it's core protocols, like we actually uh, just signed an agreement with, with Stellar, but there's other protocols that we're looking at. As, um, but a, a big one, and this is where I see a lot of growth, is around gaming. We actually, because of this on-ramp, provide a, a very unique micropayment solution for digital goods and services. It's in markets, you know, you think like their iTunes or some of these sort of captive payment networks that charge the lion's share of the collections. And for micropayments, it's actually not very economical. For us, we're a unique sort of Web3 application where we actually make that free. And so we provide sort of an on-ramp solution for these protocols to acquire new users and assets in their ecosystem. So if you're a new game that wants to enter probably the largest, fastest growing emerging markets globally, you probably want to talk to us. Awesome. Well, you hear that, guys? They're hiring. They're looking for partners. Reach out to Chris. Um, Cool. And, you know, we always kind of close up with kind of a reflection on what have been some learnings along the way and what advice you might give for, you know, your younger self uh, or, or entrepreneurs who are in an earlier part of the journey. So as you, I know you just had a birthday, <laughs> did some <laughs> reflection. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you could think of, you know, one or two things you might share with someone who's just beginning their entrepreneurial journey, you know, what advice would you give them? Um uh, pun intended, the hustle never ends, right? As an, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. But it's one of those things, just because you raise a ton of money doesn't mean that you should just go out and spend it. Even, you know, you, I do think you have to be very deliberate in that. And I think as an early stage, in an early stage venture, there's a lot of trial and error. So, and in many respects, you're not, unless you're really lucky, figure everything out all at once. Uh, So I think you have to be very careful and very patient and deliberate about how you spend your resources. By the way, part of that's money. It's also your colleagues, your employees, time and effort, your partners. You know, you don't want to, you know, expend all this energy up front and not having to show for it. So I spend a lot of time in my head game planning role playing how certain scenario scenario planning how things could play out i remember from business school you know with this class called quantitative analysis or decision sciences now some describe it but where we do these like decision trees right and there's like a 10 percent chance this would happen a 50 percent chance this would happen and a 40% chance this other thing would happen. And then you describe some value in it and you'd create this expected value at the end branch. Well, so these are the types of things I do 
in this startup because it, it, it is a numbers game, right? And so you don't know all the time what you don't know. And, but you have to be very careful and deliberate about where you spend your resources, your times, because you don't get another shot at it. And that's probably one of the things I, I, I learned. And, but it takes patience, patience. And it's hard to sit or get an appreciation of that without some experience. Yeah, I always had the feeling, you know, when you look back on a quarter, you're like, God, I was so dumb three months ago. How come I didn't know these things? And you're like, oh, well, I wouldn't have learned them if I hadn't lived through the last quarter. But you're like, oh, feeling dumb is actually progress. You're learning something. Uh, yeah. So I totally, I totally agree with that. I think the ability to really focus on the one or two existential things that matter to your business while understanding that it does take a bunch of testing and iterating to find your path, uh, that resonates a lot. Um, awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time and uh, encourage everyone who may have friends or family in Sub-Saharan Africa to check out Phone Bank. And, and as we say at Phone Bank, unlock your potential. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to Founders Jam. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave a review. Building something new? Tell us about it on hustlefund.vc. Thanks for listening. Chat soon.